Quality Files. We just got in trouble for starting too early. Apparently so. DJ Jimmy's just doing his job. We were it's like, we're ready because we actually him. have like slept, you know, since last week. I know. Thank God. I Well, I'm not going to guarantee my energy level is where it should be. You know, though, I slept for like 10 hours that night. Oh. Straight. I did not. I had a waxing appointment early in the morning, so <laughs> I had hairs ripped from the follicles of my thighs. No Good aliens time. to do the job. No, no. I'm looking, I've Googled it. There's no alien Botox doctors in Indianapolis. So that's a bit of an issue. How was your week? It was great. It was great. Um, the last podcast was very well received, which I was super excited about. Yeah. Thank you again, Jeremy, for your story last time. That was so cool. It was so amazing. And uh, we've got some good stories this time. Um, we've got a, a listener story which are my favorite so i, I can't wait really to read cool. that one we'll do that after our stories yeah. i think um I, I do want to mention again because we're so super stoked about doing our first live podcast In because March. dreams do fucking come true right. kids march thanks 15th. trev and nate um march 15th march Thank 15th you. we will be at the sharonville convention center um, which is on the north side of Cincinnati at Horrorhound Weekend. Yes, and it's horrorhoundweekend.com, so you can get your tickets to that. And not to mention, they have some really cool guests there this year. They're doing like an Adams Family reunion. I'm um, excited about House on Haunted Hill. That too. But yeah. they have like Christina Ritchie, and they have um, like Meatloaf, Neve Campbell. Wait, Meatloaf's going to be there? Yeah. He is all about the paranormal. Clayton. Really? Did you, he's been on Ghost Hunters. I had no idea. And um, I am so... I lost my dad um, in the late 90s. He was my stepfather who raised me. Absolutely amazing man. There's pictures of him right there behind Clayton because I loved him so very much. But he was such a meatloaf fan. Yes. And after he passed away, my sisters and my mom, we all went to a meatloaf concert. And he was fabulous. And my go-to karaoke song was always meatloaf. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, just putting that out there. Don't ask me to sing because I sound like March Simpson. That's crazy. I didn't know that. No, I'm a huge Meatloaf fan. Um, but they also have like Dylan McDermott from like American Horror Story, Robert oh. Patrick from like X Files and Terminator. Oh, nice. Yeah, right up our alley. Uh, John Carroll Lynch, which is cool. Another AHS. So it's yeah. It'll be a cool weekend, and we're huge American Horror Story fans. Huge. And yeah. I don't know, it'd just be a cool way to start off that weekend, you know, because it is a fun weekend. Um, yeah. I am jetting on Sunday, though. I know. I'm going to go see the I My know. Favorite Murder Girls live in Indy. But they should I, start paying us with how much you. I, I, you know, they were, they, well, it's you were my inspiration to start, start this <laughs> podcast because you, even before My Favorite Murder came about, you were like, you know, we should do a podcast. And I'm like, I don't know. But. Well, the whole reason was so we didn't fall asleep and die on the way home from that but investigation. <laughs> are you aware of what you did to me? Uh, oh, I know now. <laughs> um, no, but we are super excited to do that. Um, it's going to be so great. Yeah. And yeah, I finally finished moving. Oh. Last week was something. I'm so glad you didn't ask me to help because I'm old. 
I didn't ask so that when the time comes for you to move, I expect the same treatment. <laughs> <laughs> well, you keep telling me I am not allowed, You're to, not move. allowed to move. That's why I've been doing all the renovations to there the house. Go. So I don't have to move. I know. Where was I driving? I was driving through somewhere the other day. It was like back roads. Where were we going? And I just saw like these old like farmhouse type mm, old. It is a dream of mine to do. For sale. Where, where are we going? Where are they, Clayton? I want them. <laughs> it might have been just in Phoenix, right? Because we drove like two hours north to hike. I don't know. I could become one of those. Are they snow bunnies? Where I go live in Phoenix in the winter and come back here in the summer? <laughs> Q-tips? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, that is we'll a huge... never have gray hair. <laughs> huge relief to be moved and done and... Yeah. And for those people that don't know, I am like 21 years older than Clayton, and he's pretty much like my son, and he didn't ask either of his mothers to help him move. The other mother got to watch the dogs. She is. She's watching the pups because, well, it's so funny. So Kylo, Mm. the puppy that we rescued, him and my nephew are like best friends, apparently. You showed me the picture of Kylo sitting on. How old is the nephew? He's... He just turned three in November. Three. Okay. Um, but they just play and play and play. Well, and then C- so Coda funny. gets a rest, though. Coda needs a rest. Coda does need rest. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that was great. Um, yeah, it's just. Are you loving the new place, though? Love it. Good. Yeah, absolutely Yay. loving it. Yeah, I've been just kind of chilling. Um, Which isn't bad. No, it's. It is. I need. I need Cabin a life. Fever. I need a life. <laughs> Way too many, you know, documentaries about murder and hauntings and stuff like that going on in my brain right now that I should probably find another hobby. Watch something more lightning. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I did start watching Lemony Snickets on Netflix. Oh, yeah. It's With, fun. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris. Right? You mean Doogie Howser? Yes. <laughs> he will always be Doogie Howser to me. Always. Not even the guy from. My mother, something. I don't like that show. I only really know him from like hosting the Tonys. Well, I've never watched a TV show with him on it. Okay. Yeah. He was a child actor back in like the 80s. Again, age oh, he difference. Was? Yeah. So, you know that new TV show where the guy from Bates Motel is like the child doctor? Yeah. Good it was doctor. pretty much that. Oh. Yeah. But he was I like no 12, I think. I don't know. I haven't watched it. I do love Neil Patrick Harris, and I love to watch um, him on the social with his baby twins. They're so adorable. You know a lot more about him than I do. <laughs> yeah. I I used to be an, a celebrity addict, but now that we work with them, I don't really pay attention anymore. <laughs> That's okay. But while but. we're here, before we get started, we want to plug all the socials, which is at Oddity Files. Um, we have a website, oddityfiles.com. It updates you on podcasts, on epi- on brand new episodes. It lets you know. Um, actually, that is where you can buy merch. Yeah, which is, we've actually had some people buying merch. I know, I'm so excited. Because <laughs> it's been a hot minute. I know. Um, and I, I think I was the only one that owned the... Um, the uh, paranormal checklist one that said K two spirit box all that right. somebody finally bought one I'm so excited like hot pink. we need one with our uh, our cover art oh my god that would be so fun it would be cool yeah 
we do need like oddity files and then like the podcast really tight subcategories <laughs> yeah a little bit about our podcast we tell stories to each other about weird shit that we find on the internet just strange mysterious otherworldly otherworldly as our opener says yeah strange shit that we find on the internet i think we have a new tagline you want to know about strange shit found on the internet? You listen to Oddity Files, <laughs> the, the podcast. podcast. So, yeah. So we've been living the dream, as always. But I've got uh, a, a haunting story Ooh. this week. Um, I have a, a strange occurrence. Which leaves me so very curious. How big is that? I know. Stop it over there. You're killing there me will be. There. No octopi involved in this story. Oh, thank God. I don't have any aliens in my story. So we're just trying to shake things up a little yeah. bit. And if there's stories you guys want to know about, you can always email us at oddityfilescrew at gmail.com. Also, we want to hear your stories. That's like one of my favorite things about this. Last week we had Jeremy's story. This week I have a story that was submitted. It wasn't really submitted. I actually contacted her and said, so can you write up that story for me so That's I can so read cool, it though. on the air? Yeah. So who does go first this week? Kids that you do. Okay. Perfect. Are you sure? Oh, no. Clayton does. <laughs> I was like. You're fired. <laughs> I thought I ended talking about the octopus. Cool. Well, I am ready to hear your story. Okay. So this one's old. And it's in Europe. So Oh, fancy. Yeah. Will you tell it in an accent? Nope. Damn it. <laughs> um, okay, so something odd happened on a cold night, February 8th, 1855. My story's in the 1800s, too. Wow, it's like... Yeah. Look at it. It's like right. we're on the same page. Um, it it's was like we know what we're doing. Something like that. <laughs> so, sorry, just before I start... So before we go into episodes, we legitimately have no idea what each other are doing. The only no. person that knows is producer James. You mean DJ Jimmy? DJ wah, Jimmy. Wah. But seriously, he's the only one that knows. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes I might be like, is she doing something cryptid or haunting? Just so that yeah. we're not like both telling a cryptid or something right, like that. Right, right, right. But that's the most that we could possibly yeah, know. So absolutely. the fact that that is happening is I know. Crazy. Same page. So, Look at us. Anyway. Go us. So, cold night, February 8th, 1855, in Devon, England. Okay. So, that winter, on record, was extremely cold. Okay. According to reports from the time, temperatures remained around freezing um, through March. Oh. Yeah. And the low temperatures didn't allow for snow to melt, and so any snowfall just kept building up. That's odd for the UK. Yeah. Yeah. So, these extreme weather conditions were perfect um, for what's, what's about to go to down. <laughs> Yeah, so according to the few witness accounts from that time, after a heavy snowfall on the night of February 8th, like I said, mysterious hoof marks appeared all over South and East Devon. Um, the hoof marks were reported to be around four inches long and three inches across, between eight and 16 inches apart, mostly in a single file line. Okay. Um, reports of these footprints came from around 30 different locations. The combined footprints had a reported length between 50 and 100 miles. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, it seemed that the creature um, had left traces um, and could literally overcome anything. Like, these things went over houses, through rivers, what? 
like haystacks, like high walls, through mm-hmm. drain pipes, everything. Oh, God. So uh, firsthand evidence of anything like this is rare, right? Yeah, of course. Um, and what's so crazy is that night they got a heavy snow. Okay. So for this to be spread that far, you would think the snow would like start to cover up these. Right. But they, they were. So just... it was fucking fast. Yeah. Um, okay. So the first written accounts that like were discovered about this appeared in 1950. So 95 years. Oh, shit. Yeah. This has been going on. Well, no, or this after is this, the occurrence. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, a collection of documents belonging to Reverend H.T. Helicombe, Helicombe, sorry, the priest of um, Clist St. George in the 1850s. So okay. he was the priest at this um, church when this happened. Okay. And so in 1950, all these documents were uncovered. Oh, so they found the yeah. document. Oh, I, I misunderstood what you were saying. I'm no, sorry. You're fine. Um, so these documents included his personal letters, letters, some tracing and literal like tracings of the footprints um, and a letter to the illustrated London news marked not for publication. Oh shit. And uh, here's actually like an actual quote from that letter. So okay. it says the marks, which appeared on the snow, which lay very thinly on the ground at the time were seen on Friday morning to all appearances were the perfect impression of a donkey's hoof. The length for the length four inches by two and three quarters. Okay. Uh, but instead of progressing as animal would, they were right in a single file. So uh, in a single line. Okay. So whereas like a dog or a deer or a donkey are it have two sets. Correct. Yeah. Um four, actually. The distance from each tread being eight inches, or rather the the footmarks were exactly the same size and exactly the same width apart. Okay. End quote. So the footprints soon got the name Devil's Footprints or Tracks of mm. Satan because of their shape and resemblance of a hoof. Um, some people started to really believe that the devil himself made these footprints because, again, 40 to 100 miles in a single right. night snowstorm. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, this terrified people because the event took place they knew it took place after midnight this night because someone had been out and like there weren't footprints and then came back and that's when they discovered them right um so a british novelist jeffrey household had a different idea about the traces okay he believed that an experimental balloon was mistakenly released um so like if that makes sense so like this experimental balloon was released and then like right Bounced along. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Right. I'm like, how um, is a balloon going to leave these tracks? But that makes sense. Right. But Hence the look on my face, sorry. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> odd. Um, but since mystery was first investigated, there have been a ton of different theories, naturally. Um, one of the more recent studies was done by a guy named Mike Dash, a notable Welsh writer. <coughs> oh, sorry. Um and claims that there was no single source of um, footprints. And according to him, some of the tracks were most likely hoaxes. And um, like a bunch of people were just like, we're going to do this this night. But it's like it's nighttime in one of the most freezing winters right. on record. Treacherous weather conditions. Highly unlikely. Yeah. But, well, it's still, would it, it wouldn't be lined up right. I'm just right. putting that out there. And still, at the end of his study, he admits that not all the marks can be explained so so he's just 
grasping That's at straws. That's his theory. Yeah. 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 Um, and then other people suggest that they were made by hopping rodents. Um, so traces, I guess, left by wood mice resemble that of a hoof, kind of. So they Do they like, jump? Yeah. Okay. like wood mice. But again, 40 to 100 miles. No. In a single file line. Like this mouse was on a mission. Right. And there's no way that mouse has enough energy to do that, that right. tiny. Um, so t- t- another theory, um, f- this this theory came out like shortly after it actually happened in 1855, mm-hmm. suggests that the traces were made by groups of hungry badgers awake and searching for food. But badgers are quadrupeds. So yes. Uh, like oh, four look legs, at your fancy word. Um, that leave... A large footprint. Right, right. Um, well, and their bellies would drag and this, that, and the other. And this and... is my favorite, like, final theory okay. is that it was suggested many times by a lot of people that this whole thing was just a case of mass hysteria. And it was caused by people seeing many different types of animal tracks and just, like, saying, yes, I saw that too. And them all relating it to the same one. Right. But whatever the truth may be, who really knows? Because this being so... Far, so long ago. So yeah. long ago. And it's not happened since? Correct. But you can actually find the priest's drawings online, like the sketch that were okay. that was in his paperwork. Um, so he never said, like, it's a demon or it's a mouse. He just said the creature. Okay. He was simply recording, you know, just... He was putting out on the facts. Exactly. So if it was the mass hysteria, let's, let's get... What did... The mass hysteria, I think it was. Did they ever say? No. No, no. That it was just this phenomenon that, oh my gosh. So nobody saw it. They just saw the footprints. Right. Okay. But they were legitimately on the like the roofs of homes. And, and there's no way through, little like, bitty animals can do that. Through rivers, you know? And yeah. That's I crazy. Know, but it just got the the name devil's footprints and like that's how you can find it online everywhere's devil's footprints okay. um or tracks of satan but um it's weird because it's in the basically a single file line that's crazy and it we'll is. we'll post photos oh, of absolutely. that on our instagram right at oddity files i want to know more i i want to know what it could have been because even all the people that are saying well this is my theory still doesn't add up well and that i mean it's just the thing like Okay, not saying that it's the devil's footsteps, you know, yeah. or this like yeah. goat. And it's almost more believable man. that they're not saying that, oh, it was absolutely the devil. We're just, instead of, we're just going to call it this. Right. You know? But it's just another one of those things. It's like, we honestly just don't know what it is. I know. And that's what I find interesting. Like, those because, are my favorites. Yeah, something that happened so long ago and something that's not like, Oh, we think this happened. Like, no, there were actual sketches and reports. Um, and like here, that's his sketch. Oh wow! It almost looks like a a horse. It shoe. literally looks like a horseshoe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, can you imagine just like waking up and seeing that? Or no, just like going through like old hundreds of years old like Mm-mm. paperwork and that would finding be this so <laughs> cool. That would be really the cool. Story though. of. Holy shit, look what I found. That's a great story. I love that. I kind of hope there's somebody finally figures that out, though. I mean, at this point, Now it's going to be like in the back of my brain. All they have is a sketch. Yeah. It's going to be one of those things where I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, can't fall asleep, and go, 
what the fuck was that? <laughs> right? You know? <laughs> oh, I love that. Thank you for that. Um, I have a haunting story. Can't wait. It's the Sprague Mansion Haunting. And it's located in in Rhode Island where we've actually investigated where all the beautiful homes are and all the hauntings are on the East Coast. Old. Old, old, old homes. So three generations of the Sprague family lived in in the house. The Spragues were founders of the Sprague Printworks in 1808, which later became the Cranston Printworks, which is the only continuously operating textile printing company in America, which is kind of cool. Didn't know that. At the time of the Civil War, the A&W Sprague Company was the richest textile company in the United States, and the house was built in 1790 and was expanded in the early 1800s by Colonel Amass, A-M-A-S-S? Sure. Okay. Colonel Amass Sprague. (laughs) All I see is ass at the end of that. <laughs> the Sprague Mansion is located on Cranston Street in Cranston, Rhode Island. On a cold and snowy night, New Year's Eve in 1843, now I have it as a Massa Sprague. So I don't know. We'll, we'll go with the map. I think it's a Massa makes more sense. A mass? I mean, I am an ass, but we'll go with a mass. <laughs> Typo queen. Amasa Sprague finished a large family dinner in his Cranston, Rhode Island mansion and took a walk. At least two men set upon Sprague during his after-dinner walk. A bullet struck his right forearm, forearm, which disabled him from the beating that followed. This is, I know, it's crazy. His attacker struck him on both sides of the skull with a blunt instrument and his skull was fractured, rupturing the brain membrane. So that, in turn, of course, killed Colonel Sprague right on the spot. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's crazy because I don't want to get into the whole murder side of things, but this trial went on, and they think that they convicted the wrong guys for it. And it's actually a really, really interesting story. I'm sorry if I miss this. What year is this? Um, the death happened in 1843. Okay. In Rhode Island. So then in the late 1800s, Lucy Chase Sprague lost her fortune and died penniless in the Sprague Mansion on Cranston Street as well. But the we'll get to the haunting side of things now. Apparently the first reported paranormal activity was in 1925 when guests reported seeing a ghost on the elegant central stairway that actual Colonel Sprague had put in the house. So they didn't say whether it was male or female, but they saw an apparition on this central staircase. Um, Three years later, the wife of one of the Cranston Printworks managers, which the home became the hub, like the offices for the Cranston Printworks. I see. um, The wife of one of the managers was down in the wine cellar and felt someone brush by her arm when she knew she was the only one in the cellar. And then not much later than that, another visitor to the mansion claimed while in the wine cellar that he saw a a white thing brush by him. That's Again, terrifying. in the cellar. Um, other visitors feel an icy cold presence in the cellar, and the activity began to spread throughout the house. People would see shadows in the mirrors all over the house. So this it kind of leaves me wondering, okay, so... 
all this death and stuff happened in the 1800s. Why 1925 all of a sudden? Is is it because of all the spiritualism that was so popular back in that time? Or is it people just didn't talk about it before that time? Maybe they're like too scared of it. That could be. That could be. I. That's how I was as a kid. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to know anything about it. And now look at me. So they probably <laughs> should have talked about it. Um, the last residents of the mansion were the supervisors, like I had said, of the Cranston Printworks. Um, and the house had been thought to be empty. The house had been thought to be empty when the Printworks decided they no longer needed such a big piece of property. In 1967... The Cranston Historical Society took over the mansion and began repairs on it and just kind of bring it back to its its heyday. Now, right after the property was acquired by the Historical Society, Bob Lynch Jr. and some of his Brown University classmates decided to spend the night at the mansion. It doesn't really say why. It talks more about their experience when they're there. Um, but the boys got there and the paranormal activity was off the charts. What? They they got there and they, you know, tried to, you know, set up places to lay down and sleep and things like that. And each and every one of them had the blankets ripped off of them. What? Yes. And they all swore to each other that it was not the other one. That's 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 creepy. Aggressive. I've never had that happen in my life. Nothing close. I would freak the fuck out. Absolutely. Um so, of course, this freaked all of them out, and knowing they wouldn't sleep anyway, the boys decided to make their own Ouija board, and they wanted to kind of <laughs> – James just rolled his eyes. <laughs> um, and what they did is they kind of drew one up on some paper and a, took, like, a glass or something, which we should try that with the glass. Well, never mind. Um, <laughs> so, and immediately after they set up this Ouija board, they made contact – and the first thing it spelled out was tell my story on the board. Yeah. How freaking magical is that? Because that's what we want to do is right. we want to tell, tell their stories. story. Um, so as you can imagine, the boys continued the session to try to figure out what the story was and who wanted to tell it. Who they had contacted wasn't even a family member of any of the wealthy owners of the mansion, though. Um, excuse me. I burped um not even and after the sprags had moved out another couple other wealthy families moved in none of those either very similar to the culbertson mansion it, we didn't meet any of the culbertsons at all i think we only spoke to servants there um who they contacted though wasn't even a family member of the wealthy owners of the mansion um through all the centuries of it is its existence but the eager spirit named, said his name was Charlie. So Charlie went on to tell the meddling kids that he was a butler for the once one of the prestigious families who bought the house after the the Sprague family had oh. had sold it, which is very similar, super similar to Culbertson Mansion. Exactly where I was going. Episode one on Amazon Prime season one. That's crazy. Yes. Because of the Culbertson Mansion, we went in like, oh, we want to talk to all the Culbertsons. Yes. And, <laughs> and we knew that at that time, we knew the names of the families that had had it after that. And we knew like specific family members' names. And we ended up talking to a servant girl Servants. named Anna yeah. and Jackson the butler upstairs in the kids' room very briefly. I wonder, I'm sure there's a, a theory or study just in that. I want to know more. 
That's all I'm saying. So Charlie had a young daughter during his run as the butler, and he had hoped that she would marry one of the the wealthy sons of the family he was working for. Uh, But the wedding never happened to this day, and we we still don't know why. Um, But Charlie, I I need some details on that, I'm just saying. (laughs) From this happening, Charlie, who is apparently living vicariously through his daughter and was what I'm starting to think was a little bit of a gold digger himself, um, kept spelling out my land over and over again, that it was his land, my land, over and over and over. That was the story he was trying to tell, kind of, sort of, because that's really all they got, that he was Charlie, he was a butler, his daughter was supposed to marry one of the sons, and that the land was really his. Yeah. Not enough information for me. No. I'm going to need much more <laughs> than that. <laughs> um, so while he did tell his story, kind of, sort of, like I said, I feel like I need to know more of the crazy servant drama that went on at the Sprague house. Now, Charlie still to this day has quite a reputation at the mansion um, and the historical society that runs it. Every Halloween season, they throw a party in Charlie's name. And many have claimed to have been touched by a very cold hand or to have actually seen an apparition during the yearly Halloween event. No way. How That's, did we not know about this place I, when we I went there? I never even heard of it. Ugh. I know. Did they offer investigations? I didn't even go that far with it. Hmm. Might have to look. Might have to head back out to R.I. I know. It has been a while, though, since it we've has. been out that direction. Yeah. But I, I thought it was neat that he's like, I need to tell my story. What's so crazy is that like you said, how similar it is to Culbertson. Like they're, yeah. What? Maybe it's just the people that were actually putting in all the work in these properties and just are ingrained in the floorboards. Yeah. They're blood, sweat, and tears. Literally. literally. Yeah. I don't know. That's so wild. It is. And it's it, it, nine times out of 10. I mean, I mean, Charlie's going to be the one that wants his story told. I mean, the, the Culbertsons and the Spragues, their stories out there. I feel like the servants are the ones that have the the actual truth, not like stuff that's catastrophic, but just stuff that would be like name damaging for these like oh yeah prominent the dirty families. little details exactly yeah. that that they were just really easy to sweep under the rug. But now these servants are like, you know what? History books are boring. I want to know the details. Here's what. <laughs> here's some stuff that actually happened, and right. Who's better to tell it than the people that were literally a fly on the wall? Yeah, yeah. That's like super cool. Like Anna's story, which go watch that episode. Yeah. It's amazing. It just makes you think how many accounts are like this. Because there's there's no way that it's just two. Those two. I know. So that's absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. I want to find out if there's more. I'm just saying. If you guys know of another one, if you know of another story that's kind of like this where there's this a prominent family. Right. And it doesn't have to be in a mansion or anything, but just no. a prominent family yeah. that maybe had some sort of servant that is now haunted. Yeah. We'd love to maybe even go check the place out to see if it is the servant that's haunting the location. Right, right. I'd like to check out some more prestigious mansions only because they're I fun. Mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> and gorgeous. So did I tell you that I got a hold of Hillary Burton this week? No. So 
she and her husband, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who we work with all the time, they have this really cool event they put on once a year. It's called Ghost Stories. So I figured she'd have some ghost stories. And she, and she told you? Do you want to hear them? Yes. So tell me about your Ghost Stories event. Yeah, so we started working with Aster, uh, Aster Services for families and children here in New York. And it is a... It's a group that takes care of the most vulnerable kids in the New York area. These are kids who have been abused. They've been traumatized. They're dealing with mental health issues. And so Jeffrey and I started a fundraising campaign to renovate the residential center. And we figured what better way to raise money for kids than doing our favorite childhood activity and telling ghost stories. I love Um, it. I love it. And I love seeing the progress you post online of, the the renovation of the Astor House. It's amazing. It's been fun. You know, it's amazing what a little bit of color can do. And Benjamin Moore Paint donated paint to us. And oh, I, I think the very first year they really didn't know what we were doing. It was like, yeah. what are these? You know, what do these people want? Um, and then when we could show them the before and after pictures of what just paint and decals could do, yeah. uh, they were totally on board, and they've been so generous with us. So, yeah, I mean, you just if you're working with kids, you want to use your imagination. And so we Absolutely. tried to bring some imagination into the space. Cool. And those stories, all the proceeds um, of this event actually goes to that project, correct? Yeah. We've been, you know, anytime you're taking people's money, you want to be really transparent about where everything goes. Right. So literally every dime goes towards the renovation of the building that these kids live in. Um, it was... Actually, John Jacob Astor's family built this building, you know, forever ago, what, in the 30s, 40s? And then this residential center was built in the 50s. And it's, you know, it's cell blocks. It's barren. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was run run by, like, the, the Catholic Church for a very long time. So there were no frills. There was no, like research done into how color affects a child's therapy, things like that. Right. So the care these kids get is amazing. But, I mean, you want to talk about ghost stories. This place was freaky looking. And that was initially what attracted Jeffrey and I. We drive past this really austere looking building in town that had these huge gates up front. No one oh, knew I what it was. Just thinking about it. Yeah, it's <laughs> freaky. And there's a, there's, I've been told there's a ghost in the attic um, oh. there's, like a, there's like an upstairs room that the nuns used. You'll have to come and maybe we'll do some ghost hunting together. It's okay. um, Yeah, so I keep hearing like creepy stories. Uh, so we wanted to celebrate creepy stories, but take that element out of the living quarters for these poor kids. Absolutely. <laughs> so what what is the event? When is the event? Yes, yeah, so about- this year, we've done it around Halloween last two times and we kind of exhausted those uh those stories you know there's only so many literary things that you can tap into and so this year we've decided to do it in february largely based on the walking dead shooting schedule we had to wait for it was all work uh so we yeah we put it in february this year because winter is such a ripe time for ghost stories you know yes ma'am You think about, like, the Charles Dickens era when there's no TV, there's no radio. People sat around in the winter and just had to stare at each other. 
And so they would tell ghost stories around the fire. And that's what the Christmas tradition used to be about. They didn't exactly. Really, right? I mean, that's a really cool, I kind of fell into a rabbit hole of studying old creepy Christmas stories while I was doing research for this or that. I, I did that a couple of weeks ago for the podcast. So Isn't it fun? It is. It's odd. Yeah. The stories The are Victorians great. were creepy, man. Yeah, they were. Um, so it's February 9th. It is at uh, UPAC in Kingston, which is a really cool turn-of-the-century opera house in Kingston, yeah. New York. Like Dylan's played there. So many amazing bands have played there. It's 1,500 seats, so it's still really intimate. There's not a bad seat yeah. in the house. Um, and when I went and I toured it for the first time, the building manager was telling me that they have their own ghost. So, Ooh. yes, that makes it more fun, right? Apparently, everything's haunted around you. It's New York. I mean, <laughs> it's the oldest place in America. So, yeah. Anything on the East Coast is super warped. You know, you just got to yeah. go with it. Yeah. So, is there a website where people can get tickets for this? Yes. It is on Ticketmaster. If you put in Ghost Stories 3, you can find it. Um, it is also on the Aster Services website. Or if you go to the UPAC website, UPAC stands for Ulster Performing Arts Center. Okay. Um, yeah, if you go to the UPAC website, they will kick you over there. So I understand, um, for those that don't know, you are um, married to Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and I work yes. with Jeff a lot at the Walking Dead shows. You're his and other he, wife. You take care of Pretty much. I, oh, girl. You don't need to know. He's a handful of those things. <laughs> he's a handful. Great guy. Love he's him to best. pieces. But he's a handful. <laughs> yeah, I live with him. I get it, though. <laughs> but he had told me so many times that you and I have this whole paranormal thing in common, that you're obsessed with Bigfoot, which I yeah. love. Who is he it? <laughs> exactly. So do you have any crazy stories that have happened to you personally or any favorite stories about these locations you're telling me about? Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, when I met Jeffrey, I was still living in Wilmington, North Carolina, where I'd been working on One Tree Hill for six years. And I lived in a haunted house the whole time I lived there. Get I, out. I did. I bought an 1880 Victorian season oh. one. And everyone's like, what are you doing? You're so dumb. This show's never going to go. And I was just like, well, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> so <laughs> it worked out. It was a good deal. Um, I got it really cheap because all the houses on the street around it were either in disrepair or abandoned. Um, and as I lived there, people would renovate and weird things would happen. The house next door to mine, uh, they were digging in the backyard and they found a bunch of human bones. Get out. I was like, I was like that's all right. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a little sketchy, but let's yeah. move on. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I never really bought into the whole ghost story thing. You know, my dad grew up in Virginia and would tell us stories about seeing ghosts when he was a kid. And mm -hmm. we just thought he was being funny. Like we did. Yeah. And then when I got older and I did a beach house in Seaside Heights, New Jersey, I had to stay in this old bed and breakfast because there's no hotels there. Okay. Um, it's all rental houses. And so all the VJs for MTV stayed in this bed and breakfast. It was beautiful, like a gingerbread Victorian house. Mm. And I checked in really late one night, and I found out that one of the other VJs had switched rooms and was being really difficult. And I was okay. like, what the, hell, what the hell is this problem? Why is he being high maintenance, you know? Yeah. 
Well, we found out it's because he and his girlfriend were laying in bed and there was a balcony off the room and he saw some kids banging on the door of his balcony and he thought that like some fans had found them or something. Okay. And yeah. And so he opened the door. There's nobody there. Oh, um, lovely. <laughs> I stayed in a different room. And anytime I was watching something kid-friendly on TV, everything was fine. But the uh-huh. second I started watching the news or, you know, something boring and adult, the TV would click off and on and the lights would flicker and the water in what? the bathtub would start running. and The water in the bathtub would yeah. start running? And oh I'd go God. to turn it off and the knob would be off, you know. Um, oh, wow. I was like, well, this is weird. Yeah. And so then it was 2 o'clock in the morning. I'd have to, you know, get up at 6 so we could shoot during daylight hours the next day. And and there were these kids running all over my floor. I could hear them banging around mm-hmm. in the hallways. So I called down to the front desk, and I was like, can you please tell whatever family is staying here that they got to get their kids in check? Yeah. They're like, they're like, honey, you're the only person on the floor. What? Yeah. So that was that was unsettling. Um, but then all of a sudden, all the stuff my dad told me as a kid, I'm like, oh, maybe he's not a big fat liar. Like, <laughs> this is legit. So then when I moved into a haunted house, I was already kind of sensitive to weirdness because right, right. because I believed in it now. You right. Know? Yeah. Um. And so the very first day I moved in, I had my dad and my brother and a couple guys I worked with all moving in boxes and bringing in furniture. And I stepped back to the back of the house to use the bathroom. And when I came out, all of these guys were standing around the bathroom door. And I'm so, you know, like, that's creepy. What are you guys doing? Yeah. Yeah. They said, who were you talking to back here? Uh Uh-uh. I said, there's nobody here. And they had all heard me talking to a man in the back of the house. Really? I was like, I am covered in goosebumps. Yeah, I was like, no, there's nobody here. What do you guys, you're all being weird. Stop. And then later as we lived there, we found out it wasn't a man that lived in the place. There was a woman who was haunting my house. She'd lived there her entire life. Her name was Hester Donnelly. She was a notorious spinster in town. Oh, big, sounds amazing. Oh, dude, this woman, she was a big woman, and she wore a beret, and she was known for having this very deep, gruff voice. Oh. And so hated men in my house. She would throw pictures off the wall. <laughs> guys were doing, you know, like, she yeah. really didn't like men. looking out for you. But I was great in the house. She loved me, so... <laughs> Well, that's awesome. It was like having a roommate. Exactly. Who was looking out for you? Maybe she was only throwing stuff around when it wasn't the right man for you. Sure. Well, when Jeffrey showed up, he was like, this place scares the hell out of me, Hillary. (laughs) (laughs) How have you been living here? Um, So I didn't really expose him to my ghost. Yeah. uh, He won out over the ghost. That's how I knew he was the one. Yeah. Well, there you go. She really was looking out for you. Yeah. You got a good one. She had to bet them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really appreciate this and so much luck with the Ghost Stories event hey, and thanks. keep posting all the stuff about Astor House on your Twitter. I stalk you on the Twitter and, hey, and try and like all that stuff. We appreciate so. it. And anytime yeah. you want to come and go ghost hunting at Astor, I'm game. Cool stuff, huh? No kidding. Thank you so much, Hillary. We are totally going to have to have her investigate with us and head over to the Astor House. Could you imagine? I'm not going to lie. My favorite part was the spinster ghost. Mm -hmm. I kind of want to hang out with her, maybe, you know, drink some wine and 
you know, get to know each other. <laughs> yeah, it sounds about right. Well, thank you again, Hillary. Seriously, thank you so much for doing that. Um, but as always, guys, if you have stories of your own of personal encounters or just experiences, shoot them over to oddityfilescrew at gmail.com or you can just slide in our DMs and we'll uh, we'll get them there. And if you're up for it, we can even, you know, get you on the phone and have a little interview with you. Who knows? Um, I think I have a story that was sent to me by oh. a friend. It's really good. I may cry. This was submitted by my friend Tracy Camp Stevens, who I met at Horror Hound. Right. In Indianapolis. And she told me this story there, and I was bawling like a baby. Um, She calls it, I can see Daniel waving goodbye. The story begins nearly 16 years ago. I was a young wife with two young sons, my youngest son not even a year in age. For as long as I can remember, my youngest son played and cooed with an imaginary friend from the time he could talk. When playing with this said friend, in air quotes, he called him Daniel. He literally said Daniel before he said the word mommy. Okay. Imaginary friends kind of creep me out. Continue. I paid close attention to the cartoons he watched, my older son's friends, friends at the babysitter to try to figure out where the name Daniel may have come from, and she came up with nothing. That's creepy. After a weekend of my boys staying with their aunt, I went to pick them up. Their aunt stated that it came in, that's my son's name, by the way, talked to his imaginary friend a lot this weekend. I took a deep breath and just blurted it out. I don't think his friend's so imaginary. She took a sigh of relief and said, I'm so glad you said that. I don't think so either. Nightly for the next couple years, at some point in the middle of the night, came in and would wake up and play with Daniel. No. Yep. I witnessed him playing pass. I didn't see a ball, but his movements were definitely of a ball being thrown and caught. What? He chatted and talked to him, although I couldn't make out a lot of the baby gibberish. It didn't matter if he was in my room, his room, his brother's room, or even not at home. His dad, his grandmother, both his aunts, babysitter, all witnessed the same thing that I was seeing. When Cayman was about a year and a half old, I lost my spot. Sorry. You're good. My husband's sister passed away unexpectedly. On the whim one day, we decided to go to a psychic, just for pure curiosity. Some of the family thought there may have been some foul play in her death. We sat down with the psychic, but the reading took us in a very different direction than we went there for. The psychic paused, looked directly at my husband, and states, you have a guardian angel, and his name is Daniel. Oh. Goosebumps. I have goosebumps, too. I literally gasped out loud and nearly fell out of my chair. My husband and I knowingly looked at each other in disbelief. It was a long, awkward, silent car ride back. My husband and I had split up for reasons irrelevant to the story. The visits from Daniel did not subside. It's been nearly two years now that Daniel comes to play in the middle of the night every single night. Cayman was sleeping in my room. It was a Saturday night, a night that will forever be embedded in my brain. Mm. As much as I'd like to forget it, just like any other night for so many years, I'm awakened to Cayman talking to Daniel. But this time it was different. They weren't playing and laughing. Cayman was upset and trying to tell me what Daniel was telling him. God love this little baby two-year-old heart. He just didn't have the vocabulary to tell me, try as he may. 
came in, was shaking me and upset and started saying, mommy, daddy, car, (gasps) keys. Oh, no. Over and over again. Mommy, daddy, car, keys. Oh, no. On Monday morning, they found his dad holding a picture of Cayman and his brother across in the other hand in a field in his car. Carbon monoxide poisoning. Suddenly, mommy, daddy, car, keys made so much sense. From all the police reports, the coroner's report, etc., the date of his death was undetermined. But I know, oh, do I know, it was Saturday night. For a few more months, Daniel would start to visit. D- Daniel would visit, but not every night. Sometimes Cayman would talk to Daniel and Daddy. Then it just faded out until one day it stopped completely. I believe in my heart of hearts, in every fiber of my being, that Daniel was a guardian angel. I believe that he was with both my husband and Cayman that cold, lonely night. I believe he was there for so long beforehand, knowing what the end outcome was to be. I believe that he knew my sweet baby angel came in, was too young to understand why his dad would go away and never returned, so befriended him long before to help him in his sad journey without words to communicate his feelings. I thank him for that. I believe that once Cayman had a grip and the understanding that it was time that Daniel moved on to help the next baby angel who needed him. She's in parentheses, oh my, I just got chills all over my body and typing that last sentence. Girl, I feel you. Daniel waved goodbye, or is that the clouds in my eyes? So if anyone listening and your baby angel is talking to an imaginary friend named Daniel, Tell him that 18-year-old Cayman and myself are truly grateful for him and his assistance when we needed him the most. She said, thank you so much for taking the time to read this and keep rocking on. Much respect, Tracy Stevens. Whoa, that's a lot. Yeah. So does Cayman, like, does he remember this? Yes. I I know he's always... She asked his permission if she could send it in. That is incredible. In incredible and i was good until she's like so if anybody listening right i'm like tracy that is thank you for sharing that emotional so personal story with us absolutely and thank you for letting us share it with our fans well and it just goes to show that there's so much out there and you could call it paranormal that isn't scary sinister No, so most of it's not. I firmly believe that. And it's just, there is stuff that you can't explain. And I believe in guardian angels. I do. I believe in my dad that I talked about. He's my guardian angel. And he still loves meatloaf. (laughs) That is Oh, Tracy, that story is so amazing. Thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening and Follow us on all the social. Check out our website. Order our merch. If you'd be so kind. We don't really make that much money off it. rate, yeah. download. And on like Apple Podcasts, leave a review. Um, yeah. You know, just even if it's a couple words, what you think of it. 
um, just put it on there so we can see it. Other people can see it. Yeah. Uh, most, you know, tell your friends about us. Yeah. We're still we're still super new to this. So Yeah. And we're having a blast. We are having so much Even fun. Even though I'm <laughs> ugly crying. If you have a story, it's Gmail. No, it's oddityfilescrew at gmail.com. Thanks, guys. You're awesome. Goodbye.